Welcome to the FS Jam podcast. This is a really special episode. We have got core contributors from each of the main FS Jam frameworks. You already know who I am. You already know who Anthony is. We'll start with David, then Chris, then Brandon. All right. David Price, thank you, gents, for hosting and kicking us off this year. Really a pleasure. Hard to believe we're at the end of the year. It went so fast, yet took 10 years to get here. Happy 2021, everyone. I am on the core founding team at Redwood JS. Awesome. I'm Chris Ball, a CTO at EchoBind. Also very excited to be here with you all. I feel like this has become my recent tech family. It's been good because conferences have shifted around and not really traveling as much. So it's good to have like a little pod. Doing work on Bison over at EchoBind. And I'm Brandon Bear, the creator of Blitz.js. Awesome to be here and talk about this awesome new full stack framework stuff. Thanks for being here, guys. I'm really excited for this. I remember going back to when, Chris, you first released Bison. This was kind of what I think of as the catalyst for a lot of this. When you released it, you had your kind of tagline, full stack, jam stack in a box. I saw that and I'm like, ooh, this is interesting. And I started digging into the technology and I wrote just a little post about it for the Redwood community forums. It was one of the most liked things I've ever posted on the forums. I actually got a lot of attention. And that was when Chris Burns saw that and he was like, oh, I'm going to start this FS Jam thing. <laughs> and you guys actually talked about this in your very first roundtable, although you got the story completely wrong and <clears throat> wrote me out of it. But that is what actually happened. <laughs> okay. To That's probably fair. my fault. Wait, wait, you were, you were posting <laughs> about other things in the Redwood forums, Anthony? How did I not? How did I miss that? I, guess. I remember that article. It might actually be where people go when they look for bison, right? As far as I know, that's the only blog post that's ever been written that actually compares all three of them. And like, there's a lot to compare Redwood and Blitz. The fact that there was a third one just validated it for me. Like in my mind, I was like, okay, there's something going on here that's like really important and really significant. Being able to like compare Blitz and Redwood was really helpful for me. So then getting to see this kind of third one to be like, all right, now there's this whole different set of choices you can make for this tech also. Now you could just create a Mad Lib, just start picking pieces from all three. You all have done a lot more work on some of the other frameworks, but it was like when something is this early on in an ecosystem, I think it's really good for everybody to like get all their ideas out there and we're all kind of iterating, all just trying to see how it all fits. What we're trying to do is use all of the same kind of tools, but they're all opinionated in different ways. For example, Nexus Redwood looks at it and went, We'll prefer to write our API in SDLs. Bison, you use Nexus, don't you? We do. Shocking. Actually, I didn't know that. For us, one of the reasons was it's allowing us to move very quickly. However, if we ever needed to go out of it, you have the SDL files all generated. If this didn't work out, we can always kind of roll back to the default. Where did it land for V1? It's handling, provided an SDL, it handles types and resolvers. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. But then we have the other side where we have Brandon who says, you don't even need to communicate through GraphQL. We'll do it ourselves. We're just going to generate all of the stuff you will need. So there's never technically an API for you. That's true. We do it for you. And for you, it'd be kind of like React query would be the client and then for Redwood, Apollo is the client, but Nexus isn't a client. So like, I'm kind of confused. What's the client for Bison, I guess is my question then. It's Apollo client. Yeah, so it's okay. basically what Nexus is doing is giving you a really concise way to write your type defs and your resolvers. 
it stops at the server. And it does have a plugin for Prisma. So if you've opted into Prisma as well, you get some additional benefits. So for Brandon, because you guys, are you guys using TypeScript? Yeah, by default. So that's where you get all the typing from. So that's why you wouldn't need something like Nexus. Correct. We get all the types from Prisma. Your blitz queries and mutations, the actual resolvers that run on the server, those can be manually typed or just automatically inferred. It's like whatever the return type is. And then when you import that into your components to use it, the types are just there automatically since you're importing it. There's no generated code step. Types just flow all the way through. More learning things. Let's all move on to a technology we can all agree that has fundamentally impacted FS Jam, and that's Prisma 2. That's the one thing I was thinking coming into this conversation. If there's an MVP this year for the Jamstack, it's got to be Prisma. I was not around for the conversations that were happening in 2018 and 2019 when it was Tom and Peter specifically. Things had formalized. They were heavy in experimentation mode. For example, they were looking at Nexus. When they saw early betas of Prisma 2, a lot clicked into gear. They've been researching, putting a lot of pieces together. Prisma 2 became a backbone that they could hang a lot of their ideas on. Man, that team has just crushed it this year. For anyone who's thinking about using Prisma 2, highly recommend it. For anyone from the Prisma team that's listening, hell yeah. What an amazing year and product. Redwood would not be the same without it. Well done. Totally agree with that. Our sort of evolution for Prisma started back with GraphQL and the original version of Prisma. There's a lot of promise there. It works pretty well. It did kind of fall down a little bit for us in a production setting. And that was unfortunate. I mean, there were still some really good ideas there. When Prisma 2 really started developing, it was like, okay, the choice for us was like, hey, there's this thing here. Traditionally, we've been using type ORM, which is pretty good, but it just didn't have the right feel and just kind of the developer experience. It's fine. It's certainly an option to go with, but looking at those two things and it was, it was I, so I think it was even more of a, hey, we're actually going to go with this despite what happened last time. Just kind of a testament to how good that tech felt already. And it's evolved since then. And I think it's, it's just gotten better. I think that's everyone's opinion with Prisma 1, is the idea was so fundamentally different. It's just the implementation fell a bit flat. And it did with me too. But the hardest part was knowing that you are using Prisma 1 and Prisma 2 is now out and there's sunsetting Prisma 1 and you need to move over. <laughs> I'll absolutely agree with you all about Prisma being the MVP this year. So whenever I was thinking about starting Blitz, Prisma was like one of the main reasons that I started it because like if Prisma didn't exist, I probably wouldn't have. Your database access is like one of the most important parts when you're building a full stack app. It's just been phenomenal. I've been repeatedly just super impressed with the team. They work with us. I'm sure they're working with you too. Just like, hey, here's, you know, we're working on this thing. What do you think about it? Or like, hey, we have some breaking changes upcoming. I've been really impressed with their user research skills, I guess, with this new migration thing they just released. They've talked to me a few times about it and they just have like excellent questions. They really dig in and understand like what their customers are trying to do. What's the best way to solve it? Yeah, kudos to them. They're just good people. They're a pleasure to work with. Anyway, here's the Prisma. And if we look to 2021, what would you personally hope that Prisma 2 would get? For me, better integration into multi-team support and role support at the Prisma level. Easy for me. It's Mongo support. I think a lot of people have not adopted Redwood yet because people coming from mean stack are looking to use Mongo. GraphQL and Mongo kind of grew up together in a sense. So I think there's a lot of sense that, oh, I want to use Mongo, not necessarily understanding how Prisma 
could help with another database. That's the main thing that I would hope for. I just think Redwood adoption is going to go up a lot more quickly. That's one of the top two things and keeping people from trying Redwood would be Mongo support, which we could do now. I just, it won't be as much fun without Prisma. I think another thing that's going to come with Prisma that's going to be really interesting is when it's not just databases that you could use them for queries, when it could be other types of endpoints, that's going to be really powerful. That's probably two years out, to be honest, just trying to think of what the roadmap to get there might be and the other things they'd want to support, but Mongo and then other DD types. I actually would say Mongo is more important than something like Fauna would be, although I'm far more excited for a database-like technology to be supported first class by Prisma. After finally reading about Fauna, I'm very jealous and it makes me sweat by the database choices I've made. Yeah, I definitely think that the Mongo thing is going to be huge for Prisma. They're trying to get it to work with all sorts of document databases, which is going to take longer, but I think it's probably the right thing in the end because then you could get it to work with something like DocumentDB or even maybe something like Fauna. I'm a little skeptical because Fauna is not really just a document database, so we'll, we'll see about that. I would say also something to note is that as someone learning Prisma throughout the course of this year, they've done a really great job of honing how they talk about Prisma and like what Prisma is. They've, you know, had this whole battle the whole year about whether to call themselves an ORM or not, and they seem to have finally landed on a next generation ORM, which I think is fine because the type of people that the tool is really appealing to and who it's going to be useful to probably don't really know what the difference between a query builder and an ORM is. Having to explain that to them before they can use the tool seems like a barrier to me. <laughs> yep, I agree. And it's interesting that even in this post in August, on the uh, comparison table, you said, not an ORM, Prisma. I made lots of jokes about them refusing to call themselves an ORM. Each of the frameworks also built their own technology. And I think one of the biggest MVPs, the concept of generators and setup commands, I think is way way cool i think we're just finally catching up to what everybody else enjoys <laughs> like ruby on rails and ember and that's like the first thing i we've done with every single javascript project we've typically used hygen for that to power most of it and so it's just like let's just add all this in and make sure we have underscore templates in the repo and that folder contains everything that we're going to use going forward You've been doing a lot of work on the Bison CLI recently, actually. Can you talk a little bit about how that is going to kind of enable more complicated workflows in Bison? You know, step one was just get the thing out and generate a project. Step two is like, you have something generated, how do you use it daily? Still want to keep a lot of the flexibility in there, which probably will eventually lead to some type of eject command. But generally speaking, we wanted to make sure to roll up some of those commands that are kind of cluttering. Package JSON, give people like an upgrade path. It's not doing anything smart like code mods or anything like that. Right now, it's literally just there's a repo that every time there's a new release, it's called Bison versions, I think. And just like we tag it. And then when you run the upgrade command in the CLI, we're just going to diff the tags and at least give people like, hey, make these changes in your project. It's a way to move forward outside of like, what the heck do I do here? So definitely like an incremental step. But prior to that, needed to get everything into Lerna, even though Lerna has its own fun. Seems like still sort of the best path at the moment. Red would use Lerna. Now I really want to talk to because we've talked about these things and tried a few things to get to that same handling versions. What more can we do with the command line? And, and it's all derivative, right? So all of our inspiration came from people's experience with Rails and this has definitely been done before, but it is interesting that things like extending that, making the templates extendable 
handling upgrade and then what what are the choices now to do that and what's the right way to handle that now people have in the past would love to talk more about that those are all the a lot of cherry on top type situations that'll make it even more powerful but command line has been a fun thing to work on we've just used our yargs for building out ours and yeah we've got a restructuring we want to do on the oh that's right because you it's hygiene is uh, hygiene is specifically for the generators templates so- that that uses EJS and you basically just write an EJS file per command and you can like replace things and it's not as powerful as some of the stuff Brandon I've seen you doing and I'm assuming David you're doing some similar stuff but it's pretty easy to do some complex workflows with it and so if you need multiple actions for a generator you just add multiple files EJS is something that has been a little bit of a barrier for me and bison because I've never seen EJS before like I'd heard of it but I'd never worked with it it was just a way to have a template that's interpolated that's why we went down the road of creating a custom brand new templating system so our templates are just regular javascript or typescript we do string replace like underscore underscore model name model names you can do different cases like capital model capital name or lowercase model capital name and then end with a double underscore and then we do a basically a string replace on that but then we also do like uh, ast parsing so you can do hang variables on process.env if we have templates that support both javascript and typescript we can say in the template if process.env dot is typescript then in an if statement then we can put the typescript code and then you can have else just the javascript code and vice versa and then we actually parse the ht and then parse that out it's pretty nice some of the typescript like will autocomplete es lint stuff and so it's still a very familiar thing in your template and does the ast come from typescript or from babel like where is the ast here I think we use Babel to parse that. Okay, got it. That's one of the big advantages. While you're writing some of these templates, you can actually tell if it's compiling properly. With the workflow that we've chosen, it's you have to run a linting command and make sure that it compiles there versus kind of more of a like real time. There's still a component where you still have to run it to see for sure. But here's the nasty problem we haven't talked about with CLIs tests. Like we've had to do so yeah. many like workaround <laughs> hacky things on tests and fixtures and, and then we're always breaking something and, and then you're like, oh, this test is just dumb anyway. Like why should I even write a test? Just get, just ship the code. So I would th- we are most guilty of that in the CLI package for sure. It hasn't yeah. been terrible, but there's been a few times we're like, oh yeah, might not, we might need to work on that. Yeah, it's been challenging. So I've been experimenting with Cypress. That's what we have. We have a, a okay. test suite with Cypress. We use our tutorial it's kind of the template. We run all the commands you need to do to go through the tutorial mm-hmm. from install. And then now we're adding on things like our test command, our storybook. Basically, it's like, well, if it didn't generate the code to get the next step, then we know something is wrong. Right. <laughs> One of the other things I don't think has really been tackled yet, but I believe Redwood is tackling it with their generators. It's great to set it up for the first time. But what happens if you then go change the Prisma 2 model and you then have to do what? tweak all of the files that it's created yourself. Are any of the projects actually doing the regeneration of the functions to now add the extra variables or the stuff you removed? Kind of. We have a wonderful command. I think Anton put this thing in. It's probably one of the most like lines committed in the command we've ever had <laughs> called destroy. You can always destroy whatever you just did. It's kind of the undo and then go back. And then the most of our generator commands allow you to force it's effectively an overwrite or regeneration. It's challenging We've with some of the setup commands that we have. And again, I think this is a little bit like a Gatsby plugin might be. We have these one-off commands that could do a lot of other things inside of them. Instantiate, initialize, config, install. That would be a setup command for us. 
it would be like a Gatsby recipe and a Blitz recipe. Okay, there you go. Sorry, that might be the analogy. Those get challenging because other things might already exist that those have to come in and overwrite. It's hard. There's just a lot of edge cases. Are you doing AST parsing for that? No, it, I mean, it's all, no. Okay. We are. So we're actually parsing the AST and basically doing a, a code mod, which has worked pretty well. Okay. Is that what you're calling the recipe? Yeah. We call the recipes, like the thing that you actually run, the definition of what to install. And then we have a Blitz installer package that actually does all of that stuff. Right now it's written in TypeScript. It's like a builder pattern for actually writing the recipe. We have like a, a simple shortcut to add a regular dependency or add a development dependency. And then you also have access directly to JS CodeShift, I believe it is, to write custom AST parsing. For example, right now, to add theme providers in the root of your app, you have to write all of that AST directly in, in the recipe. So every recipe has a bunch of complex code to do that. But we need to abstract that out into another utility that just says add theme provider or add context provider, whatever the correct name would be. And then that makes it easy. So happy to collaborate on that and pull it out into a separate package and stuff if, you, if you're interested. Before we started recording, we were talking about how this feels like, well, like Kristen, you said, it feels like a family. And actually, we've never all been in a conversation before live, but I feel like we have many times this year. What a wonderful time and experience to be a part of an ecosystem as it's really taking off and just all the relationships it form. And this is probably something, Anthony and Chris, you wanted to get to, but one of my biggest takeaways from this year is just all the relationships that got to happen because of these things, technology that's happening and creating an ecosystem around it. But Anyway, yeah, I would love to. I think, and I love how low level this conversation's already gotten, but these are the important problems that make everything else work. Yeah, that'd be really fun. Yeah, exactly the same kind of problem. We need to get V1 out the door. After that, there's some things we really want to do on the CLI side that we'd like to come around back to. So we will take you up on that, Brandon. We've also talked with Gatsby about collaborating with their recipe stuff because their recipes are written in MDX. So we, yeah, earlier on, we talked with them and they're open with us, collaborating with us and abstracting out their stuff and it would take some work but we decided to just go ahead and get something working in our own stuff. But long-term, I think it'd be good to get more towards the Gatsby MDX stuff. I've got a Gatsby question. Why aren't they here? Why is Gatsby not a part of FS Jammy? We didn't invite them, so that's partly on us. Should they be? So here's a higher level question. Are there other frameworks, people, things missing from this conversation right now? I'd love to have Guillermo here, that's for sure. I believe so, but the question is, where is the frameworks role and a meta frameworks role? As Chris, you did a talk about this at NextJSConf. Is the thing that Gatsby missing is a Blitz alternative built on top of Gatsby, potentially? Or is that just the framework? If Gatsby is here, you know, it's an open door, come on in. Should Next be here? It's that thing of what is FS Jam? It is very much up in the air. We're a community and we're trying to figure that out. It's only been going since August the 14th when I coined the term, you might want to say. So the question is, maybe what do you guys think FS Jam is? Great question, Chris. Is it just, maybe even a little bit more, is it just first-class database support inside of a framework? That tends to be how I have found it the easiest to at least describe it to people. Like when people ask me the difference between any of these things and a Nextdoor Gatsby, the database is, is what I talk about, what I try to emphasize. So yeah, I think that's, it's a very important piece because that's what we want. Like we need 
a thing to persist our data so that we can read and write to it so that we can do all the types of activities we want to do with our data. And you can't do that without a database at this current state in time. And we'll see where things go. I think that's a really good touchstone. And for me, that kind of touches on the larger thing, which is just having a full coherent structure to your project, all the code being in one place. Monolithic development workflow. You're less separation of teams or like, this is your front end team, this is your API team. And it's more like you're building the product. And I feel like that mindset before this whole thing, to me, it was basically, you're talking about a mono repo that both things are included. And that's just, that was it. But that's the evolutionary step I feel like towards getting to where we are. You want all your pull requests to have the full context on both sides and you want it to feel like just kind of one thing. And then it's morphed into what I would just consider a single project and not these two isolated things that are still sort of related, but you treat them isolated. I still keep up with Gatsby. I have a few projects in Gatsby that I maintain. They're doing some really cool stuff lately. What I think Gatsby is doing most right now is refinement. They've built very fast and grew very big. And now I think it's coming to the time where they're refining things. For example, the Next.js image component came out. Gatsby had that for a year, two years. Soon as Next.js come out with their alternative, Gatsby now have refined their Gatsby image plugin. And now it is even smaller, faster, and does more things. What is a meta framework? What is normal? Would we expect generator commands, setup commands, a database support, function support, upload them functions to the cloud? We're all going to the same north light, no matter what path we're taking. I think Gatsby's not quite there yet, or Next.js by themselves. Neither one of those are focused on an end-to-end full-stack developer experience. They're really focused on just their framework. It's a pretty smallish scope. What we're trying to do is a much larger in scope. Gatsby and Next can be a part of that. I mean, I think it works out nice because in our case, Next.js is just totally focused on the framework itself and like the runtime. So with Blitz, we don't even have to think about that. We just get features for free. And it allows us to focus on the higher level developer experience and features on top. I think when you know what your backend looks like, you can make a lot of really good decisions about developer experience. Everything from like the way you're generating types to use on the other side of the coin, you kind of know what both things are using versus if you're focusing only on the front end or only on the back end, you can't make those same kind of assumptions. So a lot of things were happening first and then now we're trying to put names to them, which is a very natural part of the process and is also showing that progress is happening. And so what I'm thinking around is with Redwood, and we started off even naming Redwood a full-stack Jamstack framework. What do we mean? Why was that a part of the descriptive marketing language even to start? And it's been a lot around the methodology, leveraging infrastructure that's available now, leveraging the infrastructure we want to be available in a year from now. But it was all very methodology-based and focused heavily on CD. I think a lot of terminology, I don't know if I've actually talked about this in a recorded podcast setting, but For me, when we say things like developer experience or infrastructure, Jamstack, for me, it all boils down to CD and continuous deployment. The more seamless that is, the more available CD is, and actually there's a lot of research on this, the more productive a project can be. It's just one of the key drivers to it. So what is full stack Jamstack and what isn't it? I can tell you that we've already busted through what's available in a Jamstack infrastructure since. Some of the more complex projects running Redwood right now are using container-based deployment. 
and they've had to move off of the Jamstack infrastructure providers because they couldn't do what they needed to do for a complex application. What is full stack Jamstack? I don't know. I, what, do we, what do we want it to be? Ooh, now that I could talk about for a while. I think I am surprised. The reason I asked the question at the beginning is maybe we just don't know about it, but are other frameworks trying to do the same thing given what our piece of the ecosystem, right? What we represent here is proven as possible this year. That's cool because that's happening, like possibilities. But I am a little bit, I guess, surprised at how quickly we hit some limitations on the Redwood side with the projects we see being built. That's really interesting. That very That's the very reason why I haven't hung the Blitz hat on the Jamstack post because the limitations that you know. So Blitz, just to be clear, you can deploy Blitz to a server or serverless. Redwood's the same way, same as Next.js. And so if you deploy serverless, then your endpoints are all serverless functions. You can scale automatically and independently. So I, I love that. That's like the dream. But like I had an app or a Blitz app. I first deployed it to Vercel, but then it was failing because one of my API routes uses Puppeteer, serverless Puppeteer to generate a PDF. But on Vercel, Vercel is consolidating API routes and Next.js apps down to like one or two, or maybe more depending on how many API routes you have. So you have a ton of code being bundled together and then your, your bundle's too big and you don't have any control over it. That's because of Vercel itself. That's frustrating. So, so I go back to render. So now it's running on render. And, but then I have some other issues, but anyways, so yeah, so I, I love the serverless model and I think a Laravel Vapor, I look at that and people using it and it just sounds incredible. It sounds like the analytics company that's kind of privacy focused, they're running on Laravel Vapor. It's an alternative for Google Analytics and it's a small company. Fathom, yes, Fathom. It's built on, on Laravel and they're deployed on Laravel Vapor. And so it's, it's all serverless. They have like serverless job processing. They're, I guess they have server-side rendering. That's all serverless, their API. And they're just scaling to like massive amounts. They had a DDoS attack. There's like an article that went to the top of Hacker News about this, Fathom DDoS attack. Yeah, Jack Ellis. I did see this, yeah. Yeah, so they just like cranked up their limits or whatever. And they were just, they could handle the DDoS attack because of the serverless is just through the roof, like, you know, millions of requests per second or something. And it's just mind blowing. It's like, how, why is it so hard to get to that? Do we really have to learn Laravel? <laughs> like, let, let, let's bring that experience to JavaScript. I've spent a lot of time kind of in the serverless world and listening to like serverless podcasts and things like this. And what we're trying to do is kind of breaking the technology and the way it's intended to be used. Cause at least with Redwood, what we're doing is we're creating what they call a Lambda lith, a Lambda monolith. And that's the problem is these things were made to be small functions that can be invoked very, very quickly. And you can write your entire application as one giant function being executed by these things, but that's not what they were intended to do. There's an impedance mismatch happening here between what the technology is meant for and what we're using it for. Either we need to break up our applications into smaller functions, or we need to invent a new type of Lambda technology that works better for giant functions. A couple things are happening there. AWS Lambdas now support containers, and it's up to gigabytes of size. So that's really interesting. That's a Google Cloud run model. Also on me, there's a Google Cloud run deploy PR in our repo that I need to get committed. A phenomenal developer named Benko has been waiting patiently for me. But right, that's all, that's regions, multi-region container-based serverless model. So that's changing. And I'm a huge fan of Cloudflare. There's a lot of runtime limitations, but what they're doing with V8s and their workers edge network is really interesting because there is no latency on it. So I think those problems will be solved. What I really want, low cost, high performance, 
and not to have to think about my infrastructure. Totally. Where's where's that genie in those three wishes? Like, because those are the things, right? So I want a lot of magic and I want it really cheap. Are you listening, hosting providers? That's, I say it out loud and it sounds just ridiculous, but that's kind of where they're going. I find all these constraints on the Jamstack side when we're using serverless, we're not getting charged a serverless model. We're paying in bulk and it's actually quite expensive on some of the Jamstack providers. So that's interesting. We have all these constraints everywhere. So I'm not sure what's going to happen here, but it is available. I do think these types of infrastructure at a low cost, high performance are available. I'm just not sure what the final recipe is going to be. I'm not sure if the Jamstack hosting providers are going to end up being the final hosting providers for this FS Jam model. I think it's actually up to us to create enough market share to force them to look at serving what we need. That's yeah. what the mission is before us. From just a technical standpoint, there's got to be some trickle down effects. If it's supported on AWS, and it's supported over on, theoretically, Cloudflare. I don't have as much knowledge with that, but I saw they just released some stuff recently with Cloudflare pages. Yep. All of these things are sort of like moving that way. You would think that services that are built on top of those primitives, if you will, right. should at least get some trickle down at some point and have the ability to, to go that route. Or we, this ecosystem here that we represent, start taking advantage of like the best of the hosting providers. So maybe there's some things at Cloudflare we want. Maybe there's some things at AWS we want. And maybe there's some things that Netlify or Vercel that we want. So I like about how Blitz is really driven into render and you guys have really found this kind of more niche layer two cloud that works really well for you. I think that's cool. Tell me, Brandon, I, I'm not familiar with what you're all doing. Can I interject first? Because I think what I'm going to say leads on to Brenda. I would love to see PM2 scalable without having to worry about Linux. And I think that may be almost render. Because I found when I run my FSJAM application, PM2 is the best place so far. It's the most responsive place and it just feels a lot easier than hosting on serverless. And the other thing is it's not quite git based deploy. I know you can do it, but it means making your own GitHub actions that call the PM2 commands and managing SSL certificates and you start to get complex really really fast if a provider can literally be here's a pm2 container run whatever you want on it i think that could also really work with fs jam i think renders already half there i'm not sure when i hear pm2 i want to run away for my life like if my eyes glaze over like what is this like this is this is scary but render it's a simpler cheaper heroku you can host static sites on render you can run containers on render you it's easy to deploy a node.js app uh, you can also use, deploy docker so it's really powerful it's easy to host a database there to link your database to certain containers like automatically provide the environment variables etc um, it's really affordable you don't get as many metrics and and stuff as with heroku but it's cheaper and it's worked out pretty well a couple of thoughts here with Next.js and Blitz, I feel like we're, we're really close to this thing that I talked about with Laravel Vapor for deploying straight to AWS using the serverless framework. So there's already, there's a Next.js plugin for the serverless framework. It supports basically everything that Vercel does with all of their serverless fancy stuff with Next.js and static pre-rendering and regeneration and, and so forth. This plugin is always some amount of months behind Vercel and actually implementing it but people are, are implementing those those features, which all of those features run, you get them by default when you run next start, but to get a serverless, it's a lot more work. So we're very close there, but the problem is it deploys to Lambda Edge. 
And currently there's no way to deploy it to regional Lambda, which is what you need to be able to access the VPS and be able to connect to RDS proxy and all of that. There's like a, a gap there that needs to be solved to be able to deploy using serverless framework to AWS regional Lambda. And then a touch on what we talked about, like Vercel, that type of provider that's built on top of AWS. I think the problem is that providers are handcuffed to the big enterprise players and they don't care about us. You know, it's a power curve, right? So 99% of people in the United States work at companies less than 100 employees, 99%. But those providers are targeting the 1% that are the massive enterprise companies. That's where the money is, right? But then we get left out in the cold and we have to fend for ourselves. I think the best solution probably is to have nice frameworks and things to deploy directly to AWS, Google Cloud, et cetera, which is, I think, one reason that Laravel Vapor is so nice. It's almost like if any listeners want to create their own hosting platform for the FSJAM infrastructure, I'm sure everybody would be very interested. That has crossed my mind for sure. <laughs> yeah, that, no, we've, we talked about it. I'm sure you guys are in the same place too. There's a lot of developer talent gathering around the FSJAM. And a lot of those people are looking for things they want to build and start their own companies. Conversations come a lot on the hosting. So here's what I need for anyone out there that's looking to do a startup. Here's what I want you to build for me. I want you to look at my app and I want you to intelligently figure out what my app needs. And then when I hit deploy, you go do all the things that need to be done to give my app what it needs. And I don't want to think about it. I just want to pay you for that service. Intelligently inspect my application tell me what it needs, and then charge me accordingly. That would be fun. You're right on AWS. They're serving their customers, and their customers want granular control. Man, it just sounds terrible. I also don't want to think about PM2, right? As soon as I'm in there, I realize I'm off the track of the continuous deployments, the experience that I want. Here's another one that conceptually I really want, but I know there's lots of stuff around it, and databases play into it as well. So we have this whole concept of workflows and preview deployments and all of that that's a really big thing. And the big missing part for that for me is like separate database schemas. We have a proof of concept of just like being able to basically like you want an isolated version of your database for that pull request. And you know, like Heroku has a similar thought to this where it like spent, but they spin up an entirely new environment for it. But it's one of those things where you, you need it for the lifetime and then you want to destroy it. And so probably something that's like, I know Postgres can support tens of thousands of schemas and it's okay. Everything else, I'm not really sure the right path to do it. And so maybe schemas is a bad way to go. But just that general concept of we have isolated environments all the way up to the database. And then the database is shared. And so usually people just leverage the staging database and screw that one up with their migrations or anything like that. And I don't know if the answer there is you now have to bring the entire database ecosystem into your hosting provider as well. Like I, I don't know. But having that integration somewhere would be that's interesting. Is, won't Fauna, I have not used Fauna, but I think Fauna might provide that kind of integration yeah. workflow, possibly. I'm not going to do FQL. I will tell you that. Speaking of things I don't like, sorry. Yeah, with FQL, your whole schema would be basically you're creating everything with functions. So it would be very easy to just have one giant function that sets up your database and seeds it exactly the way you want. I think railway.app could be a solution to this. I've heard it linger in the Redwood community, but I believe they're brand new and they're still very early. They're a competitor to Vercel, I think, if I'm thinking of the right company. Tom has invested in Railway, I'm pretty sure. That's true. I was going to say, I know a guy. 
he talked about it from the database side. That's what I, I know Tom was interested in when he brought it up. The limitation that I think it has is it does not work with Next.js serverless apps. So like you can deploy serverless statically, but the serverless function part of it doesn't work. I've talked to him and be like, as soon as you get that, we can deploy Blitz apps there, but not until. This area is forever building. We have demand. We can say that. When I check statistics on frameworks on GitHub, Blitz is at over 5k stars. Redwood is at over 5k stars. Bison is somewhere under one. If everybody wants to support this podcast, give a star to Bison, Redwood, and Blitz. That's how you support this podcast. Yeah, stars, GitHub stars. You gotta have those internet points. Wrapping up here, why don't we give everyone kind of a chance to say what you're looking forward to for 2021, where you think FS Jam is gonna go. Who wants to go first? And I could kind of kick it off. I've already talked a little bit about it. It's amazing what happened in 2020. And there's so many things we didn't talk about. But Peter Pistorius, one of the co-creators on Redwood and has authored a majority of the code, he said in March when we put 0.1 out for Redwood publicly, he said, we're going to get to the end of the year and we won't even recognize this framework. It'll be so different. And that's really true. It's, it's come a long way. Again, the ecosystem has just come a long way and it's been really fun. Hard to take that and go, oh man, what's going to happen next year? Because I think we're going to continue to see this, this rate of growth. We really haven't tapped into what this is going to be. We're still in the building phase. We're not in the acceleration phase right now. Some things that we're looking forward to just in the framework itself is V1, which will communicate to the world that it's production ready and stable. Not much will change other than we'll put a label of V1, but there's some feature requirements we want to get done and that's coming in the next couple of months. So that's really exciting. The things that, you know, my part of the project that I'm focused on, the community that we've seen join, surround, support, get excited about Redwood. We were really intentional with the kind of culture that we wanted to seed that community with. And we just watched that really propagate. That's what's mind blowing to me, how much the community is going to grow in the next year. So not just these types of relationships, but also the community at large. I'm really excited about that. I'm also a little nervous because uh, when communities scale, things can get a little awkward and don't always go well. I really want to make that not be the case. We're going to put time and resources in and we'll keep doing this kind of stuff together, right? As a group, to, but to make sure that the community experience continues to accelerate well. I'm really excited about that. And then I think the third thing is we are just now starting to see people that came a part of the community with Redwood were solo developers, experienced developing a project in community. Say, I, I developed this by myself, but I couldn't have done it without like the people that surround me. I collaborated with the community. And then there's startups coming out that are now getting funded. And I've seen that happen three times with Redwood. That's going to be awesome because that's going to feed back on the system. Those people get excited about Redwood. They start hiring people in the community. Those people in the community get excited. And that's going to happen right across this ecosystem in, in FS Jam. And that's where we're going to start to see things really take off. As the things that these frameworks start to give context to for people to collaborate and the things the startups they produce, as those things start to like contribute back to the frameworks themselves, both people and time and, hey, we should be doing this over here. That's going to be really exciting. That'll feel like new frontier all over again. Those are my things. Thank you for letting me run with that for a little while. One thing we haven't spoke about is React. React is such a big part of all three of these apps, but it's not necessarily a big part of FS Jam if we talk about the core principles. So maybe in 2021, we will see alternatives to React, 
So maybe a FS Jam framework with you or Svelte. Anthony's nodding. I got that right. Them technologies, I don't keep up with much, but I hear Vue 3 is going to be really big. Maybe we'll see additions to FS Jam next year. I mean, I would agree with everything. I feel like this year has been the year of this is an idea. These are some potential ways to go about it. Here's some things that we feel like will stick, but we need to try them all out first. We've kind of gotten through the we're trying them out sort of phase. There's a lot more to do. So I think it's really about just kind of consolidating and collaborating. And there's going to be different viewpoints to each sort of thing. But I think that there are a lot of areas of overlap. I just feel like the ecosystem in general should grow. And maybe part of that story is like additional languages. It's not a huge lift for someone to take Nuxt and build on top of that in the same way that some of us have chosen to do with Next. That brings a whole slew of additional people. I think the point David made about startup success stories is huge. When there's a startup that people like their product, they say, wow, this thing is like really nice. And how did you all move so quickly? And just them hiring internally. There's a lot of kind of buzz that just happens naturally. I totally agree. That's going to that's gonna be a big area too. The more that we can say like, people are building on this. It's a successful thing. This isn't just like, Try it out for fun, but you can use it in production. So going into uh, 2021 with Blitz, we'll also be focused on getting to 1.0 here within a few months. Throughout the rest of the year, there's there is a ton of uh, user experience, developer experience things that we can improve with Blitz. What's there is still it's just like a, I'm sure it's the same with you. It's just a small part of what we want to get to. Like it can be so much more. It's already good, but it can still be it can still be so much better. Something else I will be focused on throughout the year is mobile app support. What we want to have is first class integration with Blitz and mobile apps so that you get the same zero API experience. Like you don't have to have a REST or GraphQL API, but you also have an app. And so it's like one massive monolith with your web app, your mobile app, and your Blitz, you know, backend. And then also the community, I same as you mentioned with the Redwood. You know, we'll be continuing focusing on the community with Blitz. We're already seeing people hiring Blitz developers, so I'm sure that's going to increase and accelerate. So that's cool. So Blitz is really good for boot camps and students because it simplifies the architecture. And so there's less things to learn. It's easy for them to build things. So we're already seeing a lot of students using Blitz to do projects in school. I think that'll continue. And, and I would love to see boot camps start to entertain Blitz too. Oh, man. All of you guys said things that I've been saying for so long. It is so great to kind of get the validation for like using these tools for teaching, using Nuxt to build a full stack view thing. We're creating these communities that are enabling everyone to not only build things, but also get jobs and get paid. I'm really looking forward to all of that. And I'm looking forward to V1 and getting to actually say these things are here, like they're ready to go. This isn't just a thing that we're thinking about that's gonna be cool one day. This is a thing now, today. That's what I'm really looking forward to. And I'm looking forward to getting a job in 2021. So anyone who wants to hop on this rocket, hiring me would be a good way to do it. <laughs> well, yeah, that would be, this needs to be sustainable. Tom talks a lot about long-term maintainability, right? This also needs to become sustainable for everyone involved with it. So I hope that becomes true in 2021. That is not an easy thing in open source at all, and definitely not a problem that's been solved. The Redwood circumstances are much more similar to what's happened with like a company sponsoring a project, you know, more where React is coming out. So that's different, but hats off. I know the challenges, and Brandon, especially you, literally bootstrapping a thing, not only is it 
you're bootstrapping, but it's open source. So it's, it's free to the world, but hats off. I'm excited. So I'm saying this right now because anyone listening to this podcast for all these frameworks, but for Blitz especially, they are starting. There's ways you can support the Blitz project financially. If you want to see open source survive and thrive, the model of that hasn't been figured out yet. So just give them money. Don't worry about the complexity. Just say, I want more open source like this in the world. So just give them your money. That's the best way you can support it right now. And there's a lot of ways to do that for Blitz. And Chris, I don't know as much. I know that um, EchoBind is a, is a consultancy, but I'm sure there's other ways people could support your project as well. So hire EchoBind. We want this technology to go forward. Using it is one thing, but there are a lot of ways to contribute to it. And cold, hard cash, it turns out, is very effective. Yeah, thank you for that. We're increasing, keep having more and more sponsors coming on board. So we're like Fauna is a sponsor, Render is a sponsor. As people are, are having production apps, production blitz apps running, they're starting to come in and sponsor at like $100 a month or even more. That's super encouraging too. So as we get more people running production apps, they'll be coming back. There's um, at least one one company that they, they have a vision of of hiring like one or more developers to work on Blitz. So like somebody, some other company is paying them to work on Blitz. And I think that's a bit similar to how like Ember uh, works perhaps, uh, maybe, maybe Rails too. We were thinking of doing a marketplace kind of forum category, but Anthony and Chris, there you go. The FSGM hiring board, jobs board. Yeah. Boom. So, so oh, fun, Brandon. Then... Hire Chris Falls Consultancy. You need to hire Anthony. He's looking for a job. You need to fund Chris because Chris has Everfund, which is a phenomenal product that they've just got out the door. So you support the FSGM. And yeah, jobs board. Brandon, that'd be, I'm thinking the same. I, I want to see the community get hired as well. Yeah, we talked about this on the Blitz episode, how Blitz has started to do job board type stuff. You have like a jobs category in your Slack. There's a, a you guys have a couple different ways to kind of get job information out there. Yeah, I think that's every framework should start doing that. I think my final point, a commercial side of these frameworks is yet to be built. People tinker with them first and then they build with them in their companies. What I would love to see when the framework shows off, here's some of the people using it. It's not just, here's your generic logo of Google booking and whoever else. Is the small companies where that exposure can really make a difference. To round this up, we will go around, say where we can be contacted personally or through the framework. Both is fine. On Twitter, I am Burned Chris. And you can find me at AJC Webdev on Twitter or Dev.2 or GitHub. David Price, uh, because there's thousands of me and I am neither the popular nor the rich and famous ones, you can find me at the David Price on the internet. Uh, Twitter's a great way to get a hold of me, DMs. Or even better, find me on the Redwood forums or the Redwood Discord chat. Would love to help you get plugged into the Redwood community any way I can. Similar to David, there are a lot of people with my name. I am Seaball <laughs> underscore on Twitter. Also, feel free to hit me up or hit any of us up on the team at Echobind, echobind.com. I am Flybear on Twitter, F-L-Y-B-A-Y-E-R. You can check out blitzjs.com and join the Slack community there. Thanks for your time. This was so exciting. I was so looking forward to this. Merry Christmas. Merry <laughs> Christmas. Happy holidays. We'll see you guys, guys in 2021. Yeah. See you, family. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs>
speak to you soon and let's hope 2021 is a boom a bang is a bang <laughs> <laughs>